Just thank you all for being here on this particular Sunday. It's rather gloomy outside, but there's been a great spirit in here all day. It's warm and bright, and uh, you brighten the place up. It's good to see you and good to be with you on this Sunday after the Epiphany. Let me say just a word before we read the scripture lesson. Last week we ended one series and really began another. It was a bridge Sunday of sort, the day of the Epiphany. We thought about the wise men who came to visit the little toddler Jesus who was in a home by that time. And one of the lines in that text that always stood out for me was, and they went home by another road. That was to avoid Herod, of course, but it seems to me like any time we encounter Jesus the Christ, we go home by other roads, by different roads. And so that's our series for this season of Epiphany that we find ourselves in now, going home by another road. And today we're going to mention and talk about the baptism of Jesus and how baptism placed his feet on the service road. And what is a service road? How does that impact us? And what role does prayer play in all of that? So for a few weeks now, we'll be thinking about taking another road home. So I hope you'll be here and join with us in that. Our scripture lesson for today, our gospel reading for this baptism of the Lord Sunday is Luke chapter 3, beginning with verse 15. And I would ask you to stand as you are able for the reading of the Holy Gospel. Luke 3, we're going to read verses 15 and 17, and then verses 21 through 22. As the people were filled with expectation, and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John whether he might be the Messiah, John answered all of them by saying, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I is coming. I'm not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his granary. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. And then with verse 21. Now when all the people were baptized and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son, the beloved. With you, I am well pleased. This is the word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. Today is the Sunday after the Epiphany, a Sunday in the church year on the liturgical calendar known as the Baptism of the Lord Sunday. And this year's account is taken from the Gospel according to Luke. Luke's telling of this incident differs somewhat from Matthew and Mark. John doesn't tell this particular story at all. Luke does not describe the actual baptism. He makes no mention of the Jordan River. His emphasis is more on what happened at John's baptism of Jesus than the baptism itself. And another difference, and that's really what I want to focus on for a little bit, in Luke's gospel, Luke mentions prayer. And as he was praying, when all the people were baptized, Jesus had been baptized, and as he was praying, the prayer life of Jesus is a matter of critical importance for the writer of Luke's gospel, more so than the other accounts of Jesus' life. It's strongly implied in our passage that it was Jesus praying that called forth a heavenly voice. This is my beloved son. I'm well pleased with you. 
And throughout Luke's gospel, there are references to Jesus in prayer. It's hard to turn more than two or three pages in Luke's gospel without finding an account of Jesus and how he was praying and the difference that made, how important it was in his life. Chapter 5, a story of Jesus healing a leper and instructing the one who was diseased to tell no one. Well, you know how that usually works. Word got out, and the crowd gathered to be healed. But Jesus withdrew to the wilderness and prayed. In chapter 6, just before selecting the 12 apostles and preaching one of his better-known sermons, Jesus prayed. It says, in these days he went out to the mountain to pray, and he continued all night in prayer. That's how important it was to him in prayer to God. And when it was day, he called his disciples, all of his followers, and he chose from among them 12 to be his apostles, his sent ones, his inner circle of sorts, to be his advisors, his his cabinet, the folks that he leaned on day in and day out. And then... He came down and he said to his disciples, he lifted up his eyes on them. He said, blessed are you poor. Matthew's gospel, this is called the Sermon on the Mount. In Luke's gospel, it's the Sermon on the Plain or on the Level Place. And he doesn't say poor in spirit here. Blessed are you poor. Blessed are you that hunger. Blessed are you that weep. Chapter 9, verse 18, now it happened that as he was praying alone, and then in verses 28 and 29, you can't get away from this stuff in Luke's gospel. Now about eight days after these sayings, he took Peter, James, and John up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, his countenance was altered, and his garment, his raiment, became bright as snow. Chapter 11 starts off with Jesus praying. And he was praying in a certain place. And when he quit, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Isn't this the only request in the Gospels that the disciples made of Jesus as far as teaching them to do something? Teach us to pray, Lord. We've heard you. We know how it's important that you teach us to pray. And then chapter 22, Jesus is at table with the twelve. The occasion has been called the Last Supper. He's speaking to Peter, and he says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith might stay strong and may not fail. All that happened that night, I wonder if Peter hung on to that thought in those words, what does it mean to have Jesus praying for us? Later in the chapter, on the Mount of Olives in the Garden of Gethsemane. And Gethsemane means olive press. And Jesus' soul was so pressed that night. His spirit was so pressed down on. And he begins to pray again. Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. But not my will, Lord, but yours. Always praying. And even in chapter 23, when he is suspended on a cross between heaven and earth with folk on either side of him, criminals, the scripture says, probably zealots, revolutionaries against Rome, he continues to pray. And he dies with a prayer on his lips, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. 
We remember that Jesus taught others to pray, taught the disciples to pray the words of the Lord's Prayer, the immortal words. We seldom have a Sunday here when we don't repeat the Lord's Prayer. We're sure that he would wish us to pray, but all of this could describe a rather distant relationship, praying to a God in heaven who is separated from us and a long way from here, but still the, the right thing to do. If Jesus is simply the teacher of a spiritual duty, this is what you need to do. That doesn't imply a very close relationship with him. But the fact is, Jesus prayed. I've always thought if Jesus needed to pray, how much more do I need to pray? And as we've seen, our gospel lesson contains so many references just in Luke and they are in other places too to Jesus praying and communing with God, his Father. Not just standing off somewhere and saying, this is what you ought to do, this is what you need to do. A lot of us are, are good at that sometimes. But showing us and teaching us to pray, because if Jesus needed to pray, we know we need to. Jesus is the good shepherd, but he was always seeking to draw closer to his heavenly Father. That is a kinship that we crave as well. So certainly there's more to Jesus than this human aspect, his leaning on the divine. There are relationships that he has with God the Father that one scholar said are vast and marvelous beyond our comprehension. Mysterious. Paul said in his matchless, timeless phrase, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. All of this is important. It should always be kept in mind. But the very meaning of the incarnation here seems to be whatever else we say about the divine mystery of God in Christ, we must also say in some other words of the New Testament that he humbled himself, being born in the likeness of mortals. And that's what the incarnation is all about and was in every respect tempted as we are. Jesus reveals the divine possibilities in human life, not under conditions so different from ours, but by walking the pathway of life, the same one that we walked, and calling for us to come with him. When he says to us, pray, he says that because he knows the power the glory, all the strength he received when he prayed. And let's talk about that for just a minute. What was Jesus looking for when he prayed? He was Jesus after all. Certainly he saw companionship with his heavenly father. Above and beyond all human relationships, Jesus knew that only God could meet his greatest needs. Only God could help him on this hard journey he had been called to make. If out of our speculation we may know anything about his prayer, then we know this, that he was asking God, not first of all for any specific thing, not for any particular favor, but he was asking for the greatest gift of all. And that was for a relationship with God. He was asking for God. And in prayer, when we boil it down and talk about it and study it, that's what it comes down to. He wanted God. And he wanted to know that expansion of his spirit and his ministry that could come only if he was in relationship with the living God. He saw also companionship, communion with God. 
John 10, verse 30, Jesus said, I and the Father are are one. No one's ever been able to say that. What a relationship. What a powerful thing that was. And Jesus prayed to make it even stronger. He was conscious then that he was not alone and could never be alone. How many of his human friends failed him and ran away and forsook him, to use an old biblical word, in his darkest hour? A companion that would never fail. His father in heaven, there was a knowledge that understood him, a purpose that undergirded him, and a love that went with him all the way. So for all of Jesus' followers, for you and me, this must be the first meaning of prayer, to seek the giver and not the gifts, till we can get still enough and listen closely enough to know that the a heart of all things. There is one on whom we can fully rely always. Our power and our hope. Seek the giver, not the gifts. I remember a young man named Jim was in one of my early churches. And it was during the time of what some folks have labeled a charismatic movement. And he was very much into the gifts of the Spirit. And there were some particular gifts that he didn't have and he kept praying for. And he was so concerned, he wanted everybody to have those same gifts. And he said he finally, finally, finally came to an understanding. He heard it from someone older and wiser. And the person said, Jim, you just need to simplify this whole thing. You need to seek the giver and not the gifts. And that's meant a lot to me. And I think that is so true when we pray. Not that we come with a list of favors or things that we want God to do so much, but that we seek God, and God will be there. Our Heavenly Father is his constant companion. It's very much a possibility for us as well as for Jesus. I think back to so many folks have made an impression on me across the years. Her name was Miss Baker. She was about 90 years old. She was in my student appointment. I went to see her. She lived in a small frame looked to me like it was falling down kind of house, a little bitty thing. And she told me, she told me, she said, I spend most of my days walking around this dining room table. I don't see very well, I don't hear very well, but I keep one hand on the table and one hand on my cane so that I don't fall. And I walk around this table and I sing Amazing Grace as loud as I can and pray to God. And I believe that God is my companion right here in this room with me. And if you had known her, you would say, I believe that too. She was that convincing. It was that real for her. God was her companion. She went to glory several years ago, and God is still her constant companion. We can have that when we pray. Jesus was looking for companionship. He found it. He was looking for power, and certainly he gained it. Wherever he went, he radiated power. Folks just knew he's equal to any occasion. We can call on him. He will help us. He can make a difference. He has power to heal and power to comfort and power to cast out the demonic and the evil. And he uses this power to lift folks up, to encourage folks, not to destroy, not even his enemies. When we fail to pray, it's sort of like unplugging a power tool. And it's just not much use, no good for anything. There's no energy to cope with, much less power to overcome any kind of adversity without that prayer life. But when we pray, there's power to transform not only the one we're praying for, 
but ourselves as well. That's the bigger difference, I believe. Power to heal by encouraging and lifting up. And as we pray, we begin to drop words from our vocabulary, words like hopeless and helpless and impossible. All those can go away. Jesus was looking for companionship in prayer. He found it, looking for power in prayer, and he gained it. And I believe he was also looking for illumination in prayer, looking to see things more clearly, looking for God's light to shine in the darkness of this world, and he never walked in the darkness. He prayed not only that he might see the ways of God, but see those ways more clearly and help others to see as well. Stumbling in the darkness, anyone sign me ever do that more than once or twice a day stumbling in the darkness we often pray that God will remove every object and obstacle out of our way instead of simply praying Lord just send us a little more light things appear so differently when the lights are turned up if you've ever been camping out in the woods away from street lights and everything on a dark and overcast night you got some idea about what real darkness is like pitch darkness just can't see a thing not your hand in front of your face and you know how ominous and threatening and frightful everything appears to be what little you can sort of discern in the dark and in the shadows but as the light of dawn begins to chase the darkness away that which was so frightening and fearful and that terrified us becomes congenial and beautiful and warm and inviting it wasn't so bad at all we just couldn't see it the landscape has not changed but the light has been increased we pray and our problems and our difficulties won't always be solved certainly not immediately and certainly not in the way that we ask for not all the time but the light i believe can always will always be turned up and we'll know more about what we need to do lucy said charlie brown one day if i were in charge of the world i'd change everything And Charlie Brown replies, that wouldn't be easy. Where would you start? She said, I would start with you, Charlie Brown. (laughs) Sometimes prayers to change people and circumstances just seem to go unanswered. Or not answered in the way we would like. But if we're receptive, maybe we begin to see those people and those circumstances in a different way, in a better way. God really can turn up the lights. Life can get tough and difficult, and if it hasn't, someday it will for a while anyway. And we often think about just dropping the course when all we need, really, is a little more light on the subject. Jesus stayed prayed up. There was light everywhere. He put his feet in his baptism And he was praying that day. That's mainly what I've tried to say. But he put his feet, I believe, on the service road. Jesus was not baptized because he was a sinner who needed cleansing, as we sang a while ago. He was baptized as the mark of his ordination, beginning his ministry. 
And for us, baptism is that first and most important ordination for all of us. When we are baptized, we are called to love and serve others and to put our feet on a service road. Taking another road home, consider the service road. So much of our life is lived on the four lane or the six lane or the eight lane on the expressway or the, or the freeway or the highway. And we zip down the road and we pass things that we just don't notice, we don't pay any attention to. For eight years before I moved here, I lived within shouting distance of Stone Mountain and saw it every day. <laughs> but most of the days just passed right by and didn't stop to think, Lord, thank you, this is pretty cool. 300 million years old and it's still here. And we're still enjoying it. And this is part of God's handiwork. When we go down the highway and there's a tree line, we don't slow down enough to think on the other side of that tree line there is suffering and pain and difficulty and darkness. But if in our baptism we can put our feet on the service road, then we begin to see and to hear and to pay attention and to make a difference. Consider the service road as you remember your baptism and know for a fact that the service road will take us home. Amen.